Heavenly Father God, we desperately need you. We can't do it. No matter what it is, we can't. And Father, I pray that you will be here, that you will flood this place with your presence, that we will have the privilege and the joy of fellowshipping with you right here tonight. Father, I pray that you will overwhelm our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Open our minds and give us clear understanding. Help us to see a vision of, of where you want us to be and how you can get us there. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night we asked the question, how can I enjoy God? Perhaps one of the most important questions that we as Christians can ask because love is the great motivator. Love transforms the Christian life from a should-do, must-do experience into a get-to love relationship. And the difference is transformational. And we saw that if we want to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, what are we going to need to do? Give God all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. My friends, love for God only comes from God. He commands it. He gives it. We have to receive it. And we looked last night at the cost of receiving that love, of letting God plant that love deep into our hearts. It is an all-or-nothing, unreserved, unresisting, unrelenting surrender to let the Almighty God be Almighty God in us. So, that's the good news. God commands us to love Him. He, he longs for us to love Him. He gives us that love freely. And yet we resist Him. What is it about us that causes us to resist all of the blessings, the goodness that God is pouring on us? Why do we want to go our own way instead of God's way? Let's look at that question a little bit here tonight. On the one side of the bullfighting ring is a skinny little guy in a funny little costume who weighs about 180 pounds, and if he were an Olympic sprinter, he would be able to run 20 miles an hour for a very short period of time. On the other side of that bullfighting ring is 1,300 pounds of barely restrained fury that is about to unleash itself on this poor little guy in the funny little costume, and he can run twice as fast. The bull is bigger, the bull is stronger, the bull is faster, and the bull almost always loses. Anything wrong with that picture? Why? Why does the bull lose? Well, of course, there's many reasons. One of the reasons is this thing called the red cape. You see, the bull has this fascination, this focus on this red cape. And he puts all of his energy and all of his horns into shredding that cape to pieces. And guess what? The cape can't be hurt. No matter how much time and energy he puts into tearing that cape to shreds, he is no closer to winning the battle. If he really wants that cape to lie lifeless in the dust, he needs to get rid of the one who's holding it. Right? What would happen, do you think, if, just theoretically here, just bear with me, let's just say that for once, the bull would say, hey, it's not the red cape I'm after. It's that funny little guy in the funny little costume I'm after. What, what do you think would happen if he just decided to focus on his true enemy? <laughs> it 
The Bible tells us that we are to be more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And yet, a lot of times as Christians, and this is, was true in my life as well for so many years, I was not a conqueror. I was not getting victory over sin. I was not enjoying God. I was not relishing my time with him. There was a whole bunch of not victory going on in my life. And you know, we live in an age of the church where you see that all around us. Our peers have that same problem. Our parents may have that same problem, and sometimes even our pastors have that same problem. What is going on? Why can't we let God give us the victory? And this is a problem in the spiritual life as well. Um, one of my favorite authors puts it this way. It is only labor in vain to pick leaves off a living tree. The axe must be laid at the root of the tree, and then the leaves will fall off never to return. My friends, do you want to find the root of the problem? And do you want to collaborate with God to do whatever it takes to attack the root of the problem so that the leaves of sin fall off and never come back? Then let's find the root together tonight. Well, who is our enemy? That's the question we want to ask. Who is our true enemy? Who should we be fighting? Well, the devil comes to mind, right? The Bible, after all, says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So yes, the devil is an enemy, but there's two things that you and I should know about the devil. One is if we try to fight him directly, we lose, period. He's much too strong for us. But the second thing, and this is wonderful news, the Bible tells us that Jesus came in the flesh that through death he might render powerless him who had the, the, the power of death. That is the devil. In other words, the devil is not only our, not our direct enemy, he is a defeated foe. And that's good news. So no enemies, right? Or does God have any other enemies besides the devil? Yes, yes, God does have other enemies besides the devil. In fact, he has about seven billion of them. And in some ways, these enemies are worse than the devil. And we'll find out why. Paul tells us we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. That's the bad news. I am by nature sold into bondage to sin. Paul calls this sinful nature the flesh, and he goes on. The mind set on the flesh is what? Hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. My friends, this is our natural condition. By nature, we are hostile to God. We cannot obey his law. That's our nature. When Adam sinned, our very nature became broken. You know, I don't know if you ever thought of this before, but when Adam and Eve, before they sinned, do you know that their natural desire, their craving, their delight was to do God's will? To be with him. To go everywhere he, he led. But after they sinned, their natural desire, their craving, their bent was to go away from God. And you and I have inherited that. That is our sinful nature. We have become like Adam, and we are told that as soon as Adam sinned, he was in harmony with the first great apostate and at war with God. 
You and I have inherited that battle. You and I are at war with God. We are broken and bent by nature. You know, a lot of people understand that it's cold in the winter and hot in the summer, but we don't necessarily always know why. And I'm sure there are some good uh, astrophysicists in the room this evening that could tell us why. But some people believe that it's cold in the winter because in the winter the earth is farther away from the sun. But that's not actually true. In fact, in January, the earth is closer to the sun than it is in June. So why is it colder then? The answer is the tilt of the earth. If you look at this diagram, in January the earth is tilted away. The, north, the northern hemisphere is tilted away from the sun. So those powerful beams are actually glancing off the earth into space. And we get cold because of that. But look what happens in July. Even though the Earth is farther away from the sun in July, it is tilted towards the sun, and those warming, powerful beams hit it directly straight on. By nature, you and I are tilted away from the sun of righteousness. By nature, we are born into a spiritual winter. We do not love, relish God, and we do not obey him by nature. That is our very fundamental, most fundamental part of who we are. The good news is, the good news is that unlike the earth, you and I can change our tilt. By God's grace, you and I have the power of choice, and we can choose to let God change our tilt. And that's the great news. You and I are natural enemies of God. We fight God, and uh, we are our own worst enemies. But now I'd like to ask you a question. If that's true, if we are at war with God, then I'd like to ask you the question, what is the battle that God is fighting, that we are fighting against? What is God's battle? Well, we don't have to, to wonder. Isaiah tells us that the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And he waits on high to have compassion on you. How blessed are all those who long for him. Can't you just see in this wonderful passage an almighty, all-loving God who is looking for any excuse, any excuse, doesn't even need to be a big excuse, doesn't need to be a good excuse, any excuse to bless us, each one of us, as powerfully as he possibly can. That is the battle that God is fighting. And that is the battle that you and I are fighting against God. We are fighting against God as he battles to bless us. We are our own worst enemy. Showers of blessings are flowing all around us, but we hold up an umbrella. Have you ever heard, you remember that song, Showers of Blessings, right? Showers of blessings we need, but, but you know, raindrops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead. My friends, the showers are already falling. If we're seeing raindrops, it's only because there's a hole in our umbrella. <laughs> God is doing everything in his power to bless each one of us. Wouldn't it be nice to just take down the umbrella and get soaked in his goodness? That's what God longs for. You and I fight God. We are like a paintbrush in the hand of the master painter that is squirming and squiggling and moving. And the poor guy is trying to make a masterpiece and we're getting in his way. We do that just by nature, naturally. But do we really fight God? Does that make any sense? In what way does that make any sense? Do you guys, if I asked you, you know, to raise your hands, I'm not going to, but if I asked you to raise your hands, um, if you really fight God when he tries to bless you, 
I'm pretty sure that very few of you would actually say, yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, we want God's blessing, don't we? All of us, right? So how does it make sense that we are fighting God when he strives to bless us? Well, there's two reasons that we do that. One is, not all of God's blessings are attractive to us. Some of God's blessings include things like self-denial, self-sacrifice, sorrow, discomfort, trials, tribulations. How are you doing? Enjoying these? <laughs> right? But these are all good things that God has in store for us for a very good reason. These are the best things he can do for us. These are blessings. Well, okay, so one reason that we fight God when he, when he uh, struggles to bless us is we are not always attracted to him. The second reason why we fight God is even when we do want the good thing, even when we do want the good thing, we're not always willing to do what it takes or to let God do what it takes. We're not always willing to pay the price for these wonderful blessings. <clears throat> we want to be blessed. All of us want to be blessed. I don't know of anybody that doesn't want to be blessed. But are we willing to be blessed? Let me give you an, an illustration that will make this hopefully a little bit clearer. Let's say that you and I are going out uh, tomorrow for our um, outreach, and we decide to do a community health survey. And so we're looking for some poor soul to, to pester, and we find this guy sitting by himself in McDonald's all by himself, and we say, all right, great, here's a guy I can maybe get some questions and answer out of him, and so we take our health survey to him, and we say, hey, would you mind taking a health survey, and he wipes the uh, grease off his chin, and he says, sure, no problem, I'll be glad to take a health survey, and so the first question we ask him is, do you want to be blessed? What will he say? Yes, yes of course, and what then will he say after that? Are you selling something? Right? He'll say, what are you doing? Of course, everybody knows the answer to that question. So, okay, sorry, no, we're not selling anything. Here's our next question. So the next question is, do you want to be healthy? What's he going to say? Of course I want to be healthy. So we ask him our, our next question. Do you want to have lower weight, more energy, lower blood cholesterol, good blood sugar, and good blood pressure? And what will he say? Yes, 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 and yes. Now ask me a hard question, right? Of course he wants all these things. So we ask him our last question. Then why are you eating this food? <laughs> Don't you know that it actually fights against all of those good things that you want? You know what he'll say? He'll say, yeah, I know that. Everybody knows that. I don't eat this food because it's healthy. I eat it because it tastes so good. Right? That's what he'll say. That's what he'll say. That, my friends, is self-talking. That is self wanting to be blessed, but not willing to do what it takes. That is self at the very practical level saying, hey, I want all these good things, but I'm not willing, always willing to do what it takes. And that, that happens in a myriad of different areas in our life. Right? There are thousands of areas like this. We may want lots of energy, but not want to get out there and take the time and effort to exercise. We may want to have healthy friendships, but, but have a hard time holding back on the juicy gossip. We may want to get out of debt, but not want to curb our spending. In a thousand different ways, we may want good things, but not be willing to do what it takes to get them. And my friends, that is doubly true in the Christian life as well. You and I know that we are a church in desperate need of revival and reformation. 
don't we, right? And you and I know that the only possible path to that revival and reformation is going to be what? The Holy Spirit. It's only possible through him. So what do we do? We play, pray for the Holy Spirit. We plead for the Holy Spirit. We have seven days of fasting for the Holy Spirit. And guess what? A lot of times we don't get the Holy Spirit. What is the problem? Why are we fighting this great need for revival and reformation and not getting that one thing that we need in order to, to, to get that revival and reformation? Did you know that if all were willing, all would be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know why we are not getting the Holy Spirit that we so desperately need? Even the, the Holy Spirit that we so desperately pray for. Do you know why? Because we're not willing. We looked last night a little bit at the cost of eternal life. The cost of Jesus, of loving him with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. And it's the same cost for the Holy Spirit. Once we give ourselves unreservedly to him, Jesus, with all the treasures of heaven, gives himself to us. Remember that quote last night? That is the cost. And most of us are not willing to pay that cost. We are like the rich young ruler. We come to Jesus with a legitimate request, with a desperate desire, and yet we walk away sad because although we want the blessing, we're not willing to do what it takes. And Jesus predicted that the gate would be small, and that only a few would choose to go through it because it requires a radical choice. You and I may want a closer relationship with Jesus, but be unwilling to do the radical relationship-building opportunities that he gives us. You and I may want to spend more time with him each day, but be unwilling to go to bed earlier so that we can get up earlier, refreshed for that time with Jesus. You and I might want to, to long to enjoy the scriptures, but be unwilling to deny ourselves the stimulating worldly entertainment that makes the Bible seem bland by comparison. You and I might want to soar with God on the heights, but be unwilling to let him take off all the worldly weights that are holding us down. We may truly desire to be on fire for God, and yet not be willing to let him turn off the cold water faucet of worldliness that is making us lukewarm. In a thousand ways, our nature is broken. We are by nature fighting God as he longs and as he battles to give us all of these good things. And throughout history, God has been fighting the same battle. We read in Isaiah, Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Isn't that a beautiful promise? But what? You were not willing. Jesus cries out to us as he did to Israel 2,000 years ago. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and what? You were unwilling. All these good things that God longs to do for us, to hold us tight. The almighty, all-loving, all-knowing God wants to hold us tight, and we are unwilling. We are at war with ourselves. We are our own worst enemies. We are at war with our own selfish, sinful nature. And that is why Ellen White tells us that self is the enemy we most need to fear. There's the answer to our question for tonight. Self is the enemy we most need to fear. 
No other victory we can gain will be so precious as the victory gained over self. In another place, she says this, we have no enemy. How many? No enemy outside of ourselves that we need to fear. Our great conflict is with unconsecrated self. When we conquer self, we are what? More than conquerors through him who has loved us. Now we know the root of the problem. If you didn't know it before tonight, now I hope you do. Because, my friends, the first, the first step towards a solution is understanding the problem. That's computer science 101, just in case you're wondering. Okay. <laughs> so this is our key phrase tonight. Read it out loud together with me. My natural self fights God. Self is the enemy I most need to fear. That is the point that I'd like to drive home tonight. If there's nothing else you learn from our time together, please remember that. Because that has very practical uh, purpose in your life. It can help transform your whole Christian experience because as you understand that, then you can collaborate with God to fight self. And that's where we need to be. Self is enemy number one. Self is the root cause of every evil. In fact, Paul has a wonderful list of self. He says, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Oh, I need a longer breath. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What an incredible list of selfishness that Paul has highlighted here. But you know what? This is not a comprehensive list. If you want a comprehensive list, <clears throat> I'd like to share with you Something that Ellen White once wrote, a vision she saw, in this vision she said, another book was opened, wherein were recorded the sins of those who profess the truth. Now remember, whose sins are these? These are, these are not the sins of the wicked, these are not the sins of the atheist, these are the sins of those who profess the truth. Under the general heading of selfishness came every other sin. Isn't that incredible? Under the general heading of selfishness comes every other sin. For who? For those who profess the truth, that's you and me. Wow. No wonder that self is the enemy we most need to fear. Self is why our feathers get ruffled when the uh, car behind us honks at us, even though we know it's our fault. Self is why we eat unhealthy food, even though we know it's not good for us. Self is why we spend money and time wastefully. Self is why we say hurtful things to people we love. Self is why we criticize others. It's why we are jealous of others. Self is why we are attracted to comfort at the expense of exercise. Self is why we do not love God as we might. Self is why fill in the blank. Self is the enemy we most need to fear. By nature, we are at war with God. That's the bad news. Okay, so we've got that behind us now. Now, do you want the good news or the really bad news? The really bad news. Good. All right. Great. <clears throat> the good news is coming tomorrow. The bad news is we fight God. The really bad news is that when we fight God, we win. Right? God has given you and I the freedom of choice. And that means that when we fight God, we win. Did you know that the weakest human being can stop the almighty God in his tracks as he battles to bless him? That's scary. When we fight God, and we do that naturally, we win. Perhaps the saddest words in all the scripture are these found in Isaiah. These are the words of God. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? 
Can you just see an almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God saying these words? He is saying, what more can I do than what I have already done? And it's not working. Are you scared? I think we should be a little bit. We can stop the almighty God in his tracks as he battles to bless us because of our free choice. The Lord has no reserve power with which to influence man. That's good news in some ways. God is doing everything, everything. There is not one more thing that God can do for you than what he is already doing. He can't do any more. And it's enough. It's plenty enough if you let him. But he will not force you to be blessed. You've got a free will. That's your choice. There are seven wonderful things that everyone should know about God. One, God loves us more than we can possibly fathom. Two, his patience for us is supernatural. Isn't that wonderful? We have a supernaturally patient God. Three, God is actively doing everything that he possibly can for each one of us. Four, he never gets tired. He never gets discouraged. And this is my favorite one coming up here. He never makes mistakes. Ever. And lastly, God will succeed in blessing us but only if we let him. He is only limited by our free will, the free will that he has freely given us. That is why surrender is so important. Surrender is saying, Lord, thank you for my free will. Here, have it back. Surrender is saying, Lord, I want you to be almighty God in me. I know you are almighty God. I know you can force me to be good, but you won't. And so I'm saying, you have permission, you have my permission to do whatever it takes, to do whatever you need to do in me. The tempted one needs to understand the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision, of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. Desires for goodness and purity are right as far as they go, but if we stop here, they will avail just a little bit. Is that what it says? Nothing. They will avail nothing. Many will go down to ruin while hoping and desiring to overcome their evil propensities. They do not yield the will to God. Everything depends on the right use of the will. And you know what the right use of the will is? The right use of the will is to joyfully say, Lord, here's my will. I'm given to God. I want God to be almighty God in me. God has given us the power of choice. It's a wonderful thing. But it's also a little bit scary. The power of choice is really our only true power. And throughout eternity, it will be our only true power. Think about that for a minute. When Noah was preaching for 120 years, and there was this vast multitude of people who had been living for hundreds of years before the flood, how many of those precious souls was God able to save on the ark? You remember? Eight? Eight! 120 years of preaching, and he only got eight. When Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire and brimstone, how many people was he able to save? Of that vast metropolis of precious souls, how many of those people was he able to save? Three. Three. And he tried to save the fourth. He, went, he, he actually grabbed her by the hand and said, please come out of the city. And he got her out of the city, but what happened? 
God can take Lot's wife out of Sodom, but he can't force Sodom out of Lot's wife. He cannot save us unless we let him. We have to use our free choice to let him be almighty God in us. Our God is a gentle God. Here's one of my favorite descriptions of the gentle God in scripture. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. Can you think of anything more delicate than a battered reed or a smoldering wick? I mean, what does it take to put out a smoldering wick? Just a brief, careless puff of wind and it's gone. Our God is a gentle God. Our God is like a giant living among ants without stepping on the tiniest toes. It's supernatural. It's impossible, except our God can do it. Our God is like a powerful bull running through a china shop at full speed without breaking the tiniest cup. That's our God. It's impossible, but our God can do it. Our God is almighty, but he's gentle. Perhaps one of the saddest word pictures in all scriptures is found in Revelation 3. We all know this. Jesus is standing at the door, and what is he saying? Behold, I'm here. I'm standing. I'm knocking. I'm waiting. Isn't that kind of a sad word picture? Here's an actual painting called The Light of the World, a copy of which uh, hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, England. I was actually on the steps of that cathedral, and I wanted to see this picture really bad. And so I was going to go in, and I was going to say, oh, I'm going to see this. And uh, when I got to the door, they wanted 60 euros to get in. So I said, hmm, I can see it on the internet better. <laughs> but here's this, this picture of a gentle God standing at the door and knocking. And there's two very fascinating things about this picture. You can't see it very well, but one of the things is it doesn't have a handle, meaning, of course, that it can only be opened from the inside. And the other interesting thing about this picture is it has a lot of weeds growing up in front of it. It does not look like this door has been opened for a while. <clears throat> does God need a handle to get in? No, of course, God can get through the strongest door with a little flick of his finger to blow the hinges right off, right? God does not need a handle, except he is a gentle God. He is a knocking God. He will not force you to be blessed. It's a choice that you have to make. A difficult choice, don't get me wrong. It sounds easy, but it's not. Only a few will be willing to make that choice. Our God is a knocking God. Self keeps us from opening the door to Jesus. Self keeps us from letting him tilt us toward the son of righteousness. Self gets in our way. Self battles God as he fights to bless us. And that is why self is the enemy we most need to fear. No other victory we can gain will be so precious as the victory gained over self. My friends, self has got to go. It is the root of the problem. It is going to plague you all of your life unless you let God work powerfully in your life to give you victory. Self is the enemy we most need to fear. No matter what it takes, no matter how radical the solution, self has got to go. On April 26, 2003, Aaron Ralston was climbing around in Blue John Canyon in Utah. These tiny crevices in the earth with these boulders 
And as he was scrambling over one of these boulders, the boulder shifted and it pinned his hand against the wall of the canyon and he was trapped 15 feet below the surface of the earth with nobody around for miles. And for three days, he struggled with all of his might, with every ounce of his ingenuity to get free from that rock. He couldn't budge the rock and he couldn't get his hand out. After three days running out of food and water, he gave up. He says, I'm going to die here. So he took out his camera and he recorded his last will and testament. And he prepared to die. But you know what? After he surrendered himself to death, he had this thought. He said, you know what? There's a way. There's a possibility. It's radical, but it might just work. So he snapped his arm, broke the bones that were connected to the hand that was pinned by the rock, took out a dull pocket knife that he had with him, and he worked for an hour to cut his hand off. And the pain was so excruciating at times that he almost blacked out. But then he would come to his senses again and he would say, I'm that much closer to being free. And he kept on cutting. And he's alive today because he was willing to do the radical thing. My friends, you and I are trapped to this earth by our flesh. We are pinned to this earth just like he was. And it will kill us. And the only hope for us is if we do the radical thing. Are you willing to do the radical thing? Jesus says in Matthew 5.30, if your hand causes you to sin, do what? Okay. Was Jesus asking us to mutilate our flesh or was he saying, my friends, do whatever it takes to be free of flesh. Do whatever it takes. The only way that you are going to enjoy God, the only way that you are going to relish him, not just now, but forever, because heaven is just, heaven starts right now and just happens to last for eternity. The only way that's going to happen is if we make that radical choice to give ourselves to him unreservedly, unresistingly, unrelentingly, and irretrievably. Selfishness is inwrought in our very being. It has, to come, it has come to us as an inheritance and has been cherished by, by many as precious treasure. No special work for God can be accomplished until self and selflessness are overcome. My prayer this evening is that every person in this room will be able to enjoy heaven for eternity, will be able to relish God here on earth and in heaven, because they've been willing to make that radical choice, to give God all of their choices in every aspect of their life, all the time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you for the choice that we have, the power of choice. Father, you've given us the choice of being free from self, of enjoying you, of relishing you for eternity. I pray that you will help us to make that choice, each one of us here, Father. Work powerfully in each one of our hearts right now. Grant that we may make that choice 
not on the spur of the moment as a, as a spiritual high, but because we realize what we're getting into and we do it because we want you to be Almighty God in us all the time. Father, thank you so much for this choice, for the privilege of being able to make this choice, and for the power that you give us to help us to do that. We praise you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.